Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of courage to be curious. And we are on our year-long journey of exploring the yamas and niyamas, ethical principles for yogic living. And if you've been following us, you know that we are tracking Deborah Adele's book version of this. I was recently asked the question by someone who said, Adina, why are you doing this? Like, what's the purpose of spending so much time focusing on the yamas and niyamas? And it was a great question. What is the benefit? What's the reason for doing this? The reason for me and what I'm hoping to put out there into the world. So I may have described some of this before, but as happens, as you get deeper into something, the clarity just gets sharper and sharper. So here's my response to that today is this thing we call living life, especially as a human, is a pretty complicated thing. There is no rule book out there, how do you do this? And how do you deal with disappointment and grief and uncertainty and amazement and wonder and relationships and other people? Let's face it, life is constantly throwing us all kinds of things or placing before us all kinds of things that are really, we have no idea necessarily how to do with them, how to be in them, how to respond to them. And it's one of the things that makes being human so challenging. I often think it would be a lot easier to be a dog, right? You know, you eat, you sleep, you play, you poop, and you know, you pretty much got the thing. You snuggle up to people you like and you're good. But being human doesn't work that way. Being human means dealing with all kinds of people in different situations. It means having challenges placed in front of us. It means feeling incompetent or going into circumstances that are unfamiliar or having our our skills challenged or our potential challenged or fearing worried about where things are going to go. So given how complex and how uncertain the human experience is, it seems like it would be really nice if it came with some kind of instruction manual, some kind of guide that said, would just lead us and point us in some directions to help us know how to land, you know, what to think, how to respond, how to act, or how to be in these complicated situations. And there are many books out there. For many people, that's the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or, you know, the Torah to kind of take some, you know, religious stances and certainly people can turn to any of their favorite gurus and you know they put out materials that they think are guiding for them and I have certainly read many of them. When I came across this book and these 10 principles, for me it felt like for virtually any circumstance I could find myself in in my life, especially if my goal is to be my best version of myself and to figure out how to be the best me I can be is that there was just tremendous guidance in this book, or tremendous guidance in these principles. And so to take this and make this a focus of study was not only going to be illuminating for me and more deeply embed these principles into my life, but my hope is for people listening that we can start to get curious about these principles and how they can provide guidance in this very complex journey that we're all on. So that is my hope for you. My hope is that as we travel through this, we look each month at a different one of these principles, that you are intrigued, that you are provoked into courageous curiosity and a productive form of curiosity that continues to uh, help you find the best version of you. So thanks for asking that question and uh, to the person who did and 
looking forward to our continued journey. So this is our last podcast in the series on Ahimsa, which is the first of the yamas and translated often as nonviolence. So last week we talked about possessiveness and its relationship to nonviolence. And this week I turned to two of the sections in the book on self-love and love of others or violence to others and the relationship between self-love and violence to others. There's a lot of things in here that are challenging, so I'm going to try to do justice to what she's presented. And in some cases, I may just read directly from the book because I can't possibly compose or articulate something more beautifully than Deborah has already done. So I want to start, though, with this quote that she has on the section on self-love that says, how we treat ourselves is in truth how we treat those around us. How we treat ourselves is, in truth, how we treat those around us. And this quote is its powerful and it's challenging on many levels. I know that I, and I know I have heard this from many people, say things like, oh, I treat others better than I treat myself. Or I always take care of others before I take care of myself. There's this sense of, both pride and perhaps generosity or a, a sense that of selflessness that seems to come from, I take really good of other, care of other people, I just don't do it as much for myself. And what this quote challenges us on is to say that how we treat ourselves is in truth how we treat others, that we cannot treat others in all honesty better than we treat ourselves. So I could picture if I was sitting in a room full of people right now, how many people would be kind of scowling at me and saying, that's not true. I treat other people way better than I treat myself. And so if that's you and if you're feeling that reaction and challenge to this statement, keep listening. Get curious here because before you dismiss that that could possibly be true, I'd like to invite you into the dialogue a little bit more deeply so we can examine it. One of the things that analogies that Deborah makes in this chapter, she talks about, you know, if you wanted to paint your walls blue, you go and you buy a can of paint that has blue paint in it. If you want a wall that's red, you're not going to go and buy a can of blue paint and hope that it's going to come out red on the other side. Because whatever shows up outside is a mirror reflection of what's going on on the inside. And how can that possibly be when I'm so generous, like my friends are in need and I cook for them or I visit them and I listen to their problems and I do all of these and I just don't do any of it for myself. That again, we can have this sense that I am treating other people way better than I'm treating myself. But if the can is really filled with blue paint or in this case, self, self deprivation, or not honoring certain parts of ourselves to care for them well, let's look a little more closely as that kind of caring that we're doing for others. Is it the kind of caring that is really reflective of a pure and genuine love and something free from all expectations or all ego, you know, any ego-filled uh, motivators and things like that? 
what's actually going on. Because if the can is filled with blue paint, it's going to paint blue. And if the can is filled or we're filled with self-deprivation or self-loathing or not a low self-esteem or low self-worth such that we don't care for ourselves, where could we possibly get all of that love to be able to love others well? And what does love actually mean in those cases? So something for us to get curious about. Um, and one of the stories that she brings as illustrative of how this plays out is she talks about one of her teachers who had been to India with his family and his child, who was a very sweet you know, young child and always behaved really nicely and generously and sweetly to other kids, suddenly came back and was biting and hitting other kids. And the teacher was mortified that his son was doing this and later came to find that he had picked up worms when in India. And literally with the experience of having picked up worms, that he was like being bitten from the inside. So the trauma that he was experiencing on the inside was showing up on the outside in terms of him biting and having aggression toward others. And so it, again, just prompts us to look a, more, a little more closely how whatever we're doing externally, however we're behaving towards others, you know, what is it reflecting about what's going on inside? Or if we can sense what's going on inside, are we really accurately understanding, discerning what's going on on the outside? And she has this beautiful phrase here, um, or the piece here where she talks about falling in love with ourself. And in order to really practice ahimsa and nonviolence, the first order is to fall in love with ourselves really deeply. Falling in love with ourselves, that when we think about ourselves, we smile. When we think about ourselves, we're filled with delight. When we think about our being and our body and our soul and who we are as a friend and who we are as a parent or a companion or a lover or as an employee or you know somebody who's skillful in the world, when we think about all these different aspects of ourselves, can we say that we're filled with love for them? And do we feel that it's okay? Like lots of times people feel like, oh my gosh, if I love myself too much, that must mean my ego is too big. But ego is something completely different than love. That the love for self in all of these different parts is actually the prerequisite to being able to express love fully on the outside. And that this kind of love for ourselves, she talks about, leaves no room, this is a quote, leaves no room for the violence of expectations and judgment. I mean, we can't expect ourselves to be different or judge ourselves for being a certain way or expectations that would leave us falling short. Instead, this love, this falling in love with ourselves is free for delight and joy and spontaneity. And that when we are experiencing that kind of joy and that kind of delight in our own selves, of our own selves, that then everyone else around feels that love, that that love creates, a, to use her words, a spontaneous combustion that includes everyone in its path. So our challenge, or I won't even say our challenge, perhaps our aspiration is to consider if we want to be love in the world, if we want to genuinely be showing love to others in totally free ways, how much can we increase that sense of self-love? 
And what does it look like and feel like when our hearts are truly filled with love for others as well? And that, you know, it's, it's free of judgment for them. It's free to be spontaneous and joyful for them. That we are easily forgiving and lenient in relationship to experiences that can be difficult. That we can see the humor in things like imperfection and accept all the fullness of the human experience regardless of what it looks like and to accept somebody fully in that. And that only when we find this love for all the parts of ourselves can we ever be able to fully accept and love all the parts of someone else. And so in this, all again, it prompts us to say, when we believe we are being loving to others, but we know we are not being loving to ourselves, what's the gap here? What's the untruth that we might be telling ourselves? Is the love that we're expressing for others really coming from a pure, unadulterated place of delight? Is it coming from a place of needing to be useful because we somehow feel inadequate? Is it coming from a place of trying to become relevant because we don't really know what our role is or why we're here? Is it coming from a place of you know, trying to be enough because we feel so insufficient? Paying attention to the subtleties of where all of this givingness is coming from is really important to this conversation about nonviolence and self-love. Because any parts of ourselves, and I, you know, this one I have found to be so resoundingly true for myself, any part of ourselves that we have not fully accepted or any part of ourselves that we're slightly disgusted with, I'll lay one of mine out here right now, but for me to be disgusted at like places where I can be judgmental or quick to judge about other people's experiences, that you know, I have, I look at that and I say, okay, where, what is that reflecting in me? What parts of myself am I judging quickly? What parts of myself must feel insufficient or in need of bolstering in order for me to so quickly judge others? Because if I didn't have some kind of insufficiency, I wouldn't need the, I wouldn't need judgment. I wouldn't need that quality because judging others, passing judgment on others can only fill that purpose of somehow elevating my own stance or ego or sense of self. This idea of fixing others. Many people, you know, they call it, I love to help, but ask ourselves, are we helping and supporting in ways that are purely about love or are we really trying to fix? And she has this beautiful story, meta, uh, story that she talks about, it's like a parable of a monkey who sees, you know, a fish float, you know, in the water and is so worried that the fish is going to drown that plucks the fish up and brings the fish up to the tree. And the fish asking, like, why did you do that, you know? And the monkey said, because I, you know, I wanted to save you. I felt like you were going to drown. And, of course, this metaphor for our needing to fix things is a self-concept and about serving self. But if we are not deeply tuned in and if we're not really in alignment with the other person and we're not allowing them to say, here's what I need, but that fixing is way more about us than it is about love for others. And if we have the need to fix others, most likely it's reflecting the sense of needing to fix ourselves. It also is the sense of not trusting, perhaps, 
Like, did the monkey not trust that the fish had the capacity to, you know, do what it needed to do to, for survival? And so when we need to fix others, are we really questioning our trust in them, in their capacity to be able to navigate whatever they're navigating in? So I think she gives us all these kinds of really powerful pieces to look at ourselves honestly and ask ourselves what's on the inside of the can and we can know that by looking at what expresses itself on the outside and any places where the color that we want the can to be and the color that's showing up outside of us that are not in alignment it's where do we have to look and that we generally have to look inside of ourselves so there's a couple of other quotes in here I want to share share is you know what do we do um, in the place of trying to fix others, you know, how else can we express caring? And I get that question a lot because if someone believes that they are being caring and they want to fix things or make something better, they don't really know what the alternative is. What would be a loving alternative rather than an alternative that tends to serve an ego, our own ego, rather than the other person? And, you know, she talks about being able to be with someone in their struggle, whether that's to hold their hand, whether that's to listen, whether that's to empathize, whether that's to lend the shoulder to cry on, whether that's to distract with humor if that's the appropriate thing that somebody needs. But it can sometimes feel almost painful to us to watch somebody else in a struggle. But then she offers this. So the first quote is from Nellie Morton, a feminist writer of this 1970s. And she spoke about the power of hearing each other into being. And then Rachel Naomi Remen um, shares, our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts of another person. I love both of these quotes because there's not really anything to fix in somebody. There's only to hear them, to help them feel seen and known and experienced and to bring affirmation and validation to whatever their experience is. And if their experiences of struggle or hardship, we don't actually need to do anything most of the time. We just need to be with them. Be with them, hold their hand, listen, and hear. And through that experience, that person feels relief and they also come into being. They come more strongly and vibrantly into being. So I love these angles that Deborah shares on what it means to what the two sides of the coin of coin are between self-love and nonviolence to others. Really pushing us that if we want to start any place to bring more love into the world, to be stronger in the world, to be more of our best selves in the world, it begins with not what can we do out there and for others but it begins first and foremost for cultivating that sense of self-love and asking the deeply important question, how can I love myself more? What parts of me need to be heard or seen or feel nurtured, cared for, and loved? Because if we keep staying with that question and we pursue those, the rest tends to take care of, our, take care of itself. We 
without any effort at all, end up being a love in the world and a sense of nonviolence in the world that enables people to feel so cared for and so nurtured and so nurtured. And for me, even as I say this and I can feel the vibration, like this is what matters to me in the world. This is my own personal striving. I don't think I or anybody else ever really gets there 100%, but it's my intention every day when I wake up to say, how can I be more love in the world? And the answer always begins, you know, the, the answer always begins with how can I love myself more today? What can I feed my system with? What can I place my heart and intention on? that it cultivates that sense of self-love because as that grows and that gets stronger and that emboldens, it just spills out all over the place. And when it's not spilling out, I have to put the mirror up and say, what's the hard thing that's going on inside of me? Where has the self-love broken down? So I leave you with that and also leave you with the inspiration that if you are enjoying this journey, I am so excited, and she'll be on with me next month um, to be joining with Christine Keisinger for an all-day retreat on April 13th. We are right now pinning down the location. It's going to be in the Southern Maryland, Virginia, D.C. area, and it will be a full day of spring cleaning for the mind, body, and soul. Beautiful incorporation of the yamas and niyamas, the map process I've been talking about in my newsletter. Um, some yoga and Reiki infused yoga with Christine. It's going to be an absolutely magnificent day. So mark your calendar, check your email because information is coming. If you're not on our mailing list, but you want to know about this, make sure you get onto our mailing list. Go on to courage to be curious.com, go to the bottom of the page and you can sign up for our newsletter, or you can go on to the podcast page and sign up for podcast emails and then you'll get things that way too. So go ahead and do that. And um, also keep your eyes out. There's going to be lots more events coming around the powerful mindset work that I'm doing around money mindset, around wellness mindset. And of course, if you are in the place where you know that it is time for you to make a change or a transformation, you want to live more intentionally, you want to live more principally, principledly, you want to increase the magnitude of your own self-love. You just know that it is time to build that experience and spirit inside of you. Then you should be reaching out to me. We should be having a conversation because that is my mission in the world. Um, you can reach me at Adina, A-D-I-N-A, at CourageToBeCurious.com. You can go onto the website and contact me that way. But if you know that your heart is not filled with the kind of love that you would like it to be filled with and that you're, the color of pink going up on your wall is not one you're super happy with, then reach out and let's have a conversation. Until next week, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast journey and we'll be back again in March with the next Yama.